0: My name is Will and five and a half years ago, I decided to stop smoking, stop drinking and stop taking cocaine. And the reason being was at that time, I was living in London and I used to run a bar and it was very encouraged to drink. On top of that being the British drinking culture, which is incredibly encouraged. I found myself going deeper, deeper into anxiety, social anxiety, depression. And I got to a point where I I had a a wake-up moment and I realized that I wanted a different life for myself. I decided then and there that I was gonna find out what that was. And that was, as I say, five and a half years ago. And during those five and a half years, I set myself goals. One was to travel the world. One was to quit my job. And finally, it was to work for myself. And I did that a lot sooner than I thought. And now I'm a coach and I run programs that help people all over the world to do the same, to break their habits of drinking, drugs, smoking, and to implement healthier habits and positive habits to make sure that they will create a life they would never, ever want to go back to those things. So it is not a temporary solution. It is a long-term, life-long-lasting solution to a better life. And that's what I do.
1: Wow love that love that i'm i'm curious um you you said it's encouraged obviously the the whole culture thing um did it did any any of that start before then or was it really when you got the job that you started picking up on those habits
0: no it definitely started when i was younger so again i you know i don't know what it's like in the us but over here we start drinking at about 13 14 years old which thinking about it now is incredibly young. That's barely a, barely a, a you know, grown teenager. And we were, in any chance we had, we would go and get drinks or we'd try and get our parents to buy us drinks. As soon as someone has uh, what we would call a free house, parents were away for the weekend. we throw a party, everyone goes around. And there was still even drugs at that time. I remember there was people that would you know smoke weed, people would take speed. And even a few times I saw people taking Coke. But it was never something that I thought I would involve myself in because drugs in my head were very bad as it is for most people. But drinking is encouraged. I used to, you know, grow up watching my parents drink, my parents, friends, everyone was drinking. You turn on the TV, you watch movies, everyone's drinking. James Bond drinks a martini. There's so many things that are glamorizing alcohol. So for me, it felt completely normal. The only part that felt like I was doing something wrong is I was below the legal drinking age. And then as soon as you turn 18, and it's legal, suddenly, there's no problem with it. And then I went off to university, and the university I went to was a very big university for sport. And because it was so sporty, that means that drugs were minimal, but alcohol was huge. So even to get into some of these top sports teams, you had to go through initiations where you drink like crazy and have these crazy drinking ceremonies. And it was so encouraged and so glamorized. And I just went along with it. And the one thing is when I was about 15 years old, I realized I had quite an acute case of social anxiety. I was not good with speaking to people. And so I used alcohol as a tool, as a crutch to get me through that. But the same as any crutch, the more I used it, the more I relied on it. And I got to the point where throughout my 20s, my social anxiety got higher and higher. And the only way I knew how to deal with that is to drink. And it meant that I actually failed university because my anxiety was too high. I couldn't attend anything mixed in with the fact that I was hungover most days and didn't feel like attending anything. I was not productive. I was not committed to it. After two years, I left university and thought I'm going to find a job in hospitality. And I I didn't think that's what I was going to do. I just thought I need to find a job. Hospitality was the one where you didn't need any qualifications to get in. And in fact, it was, in a situation that made me feel comfortable because serves alcohol. Alcohol is there. Maybe I could have a drink while I'm working. And also the ability to remove myself from a social situation such as, and as simple as being stood up in a restaurant when people are sat down, I had control over my surroundings, over my social interaction. And I found comfort in that world. And therefore I was still driven. I was still committed to improve my life, but, I was hindered by this wall of social anxiety. And if I found an environment like hospitality, like restaurants where I was comfortable, I felt more comfortable being at work than I did out of work, which led me to work 90 hour, 100 hour weeks because I wanted to, because it was my sanctuary. It was my safe place. And because I worked so much, naturally I got better at what I did. I got a lot better to the point that I then moved from the small village that I grew up in down to London to one of the most famous restaurants in the world. And I started working there. And from there on, I met other people who were also in a very similar position to me. They had baggage, they had stuff going on and we all used alcohol as a release. We all used it as a crutch. We would finish work. And after an adrenaline fueled shift, we would go release some steam. We'd go drinking. And it was only when I moved to London, when I first found my way into using drugs as well and predominantly cocaine. And from that date, until the day that I quit was about seven or eight years long. And over that was a very gradual progression of my relationship with these things, which is also why it catches a lot of people off guard because it's so subtle how it changes. And it's only in a moment we wake up and think, wow, this is not what it used to be. It used to be something I would use to go out and have fun with. I'd do it with my friends. And now I find myself sat at home alone going deeper into this using it as more of an escape than a tool to have fun on a night out and that was basically the transition into that moment where i decided that's it i need to stop for good wow
1: that's really interesting i i I, yeah i thank you for that perspective
0: that's right it's it's uh it's an interesting one. And it's, it'd be interesting to see what it's like for you guys in the U.S., if any of that resonates with either of you guys.
1: Well, um, we, we both grew up in a, a religious homes. So, I mean, Dalton over here is the pastor's son. So a, a lot of uh, what we've experienced has really just happened recently <laughs> um, to a degree. Um, but, yeah, what, what's, your, what's your take on it, Dalton?
2: I, yeah, the the drive is is pretty high over here too. Um, when you're younger, um, I'd say it probably doesn't kick until you're like 16, um, until your first alcohol is kind of like pushed on you. Um, I actually accidentally tried alcohol for the first time. I was working and I picked up somebody else's drink and tried it and I was like, what the heck is that? Um, so, uh, but, Yeah, I would say my experience has been most of the time it's like 16 years old is when, you know, that kind of, that pressure gets put on you to try alcohol. Um, And I would definitely say the same thing. You go to a party or you go hang out with friends. A lot of lost friends over not drinking alcohol Um, because you go different ways. Um, That's just that. Um, And so had a lot of lost friends over that. Just, uh, well, you're doing that. I'm not going to go. Um, so, and a lot of it was cause mom and dad said, no, you're not going. <laughs> um, but then later it became a decision. Um, and it was like, well, I went to a few of the parties. Um, and I, me personally, I didn't want to drink. And, and my personal reason was, is I always, I've just always wanted to be in my own. I've always wanted to be in control in my mind. Um, I've never Damn. wanted to be out of control. Um, and so might be even a little bit of a fear, um, in me to be out of control of, of my actions. Um, but, uh, over here it's, there's definitely a push. Um, I don't think it's, it's as strong as it used to be.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, but, and I would say the UK is definitely, definitely a bit harsher if it's at 14.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what that first drink was that you tried?
2: I was, um, I think it was a Mike's harder lemonade.
0: Okay. I've never heard of that.
2: It's a, uh, well, it's a lemonade. I wouldn't call it a lemonade. It wasn't a very good lemonade, um, but I liked lemonade. And he told me there was lemonade in his drink, so I was like, "Oh, cool,
1: <laughs> drink it and spit it out." Well, but uh, I
0: think that's it. You know, probably the first time you ever have tried anything that has alcohol, it has such a distinct taste, and it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. And this oh, yeah. is the funny thing I find is all the years that I was drinking, I would think I love the taste of beer and wine and whiskey and now that I've not had it for almost six years if you put whiskey in front of me and I smelt it I think that it smells like petrol like it's so strong but we can get kind of lost in the idea that oh yeah this is really really good and and it's also cultural right if everyone's saying that this tastes good it kind of affects how you feel about it I had the same thing with oysters I never used to like oysters and I saw so many people enjoying them and I was like, what's going on? Like, they must, there must be something to an oyster, why everyone's really enjoying it. And it. I tried it again, and it tasted no different from the first time when I hated it. But I had this kind of program in my head being like, this is good. People like this. You enjoy this. And from then on, I actually enjoy it. And now I love oysters. And it was kind of interesting how much that can affect what we think about it by watching other people. And especially not drinking during your teen years. Like you say, it must have been, a lot of people go different ways because those teen years, not many people are able to say no. And like you say, sometimes it might not be your choice, but most people fall down that hole. They go down that rabbit hole in the UK. Everyone starts drinking. And then when we get to maybe like 19, 20, people are like, I don't know if I wanna do this as much. Very few of them. And the one thing I find as well, a lot of people who I help now are between 30 and 55 years old. So they're much older because drinking I don't know what it's like in the us again but in the uk drinking doesn't seem to be as much of or less popular than it used to be when i was a teenager when we were teenagers everyone was drinking it would have been odd if someone said i don't drink that's how it would have seemed like this is what everyone does and the funny thing is everyone has their preferences right everyone you can like strawberry ice cream you can like ice skating you can everyone likes different things but when it comes to alcohol It's like, we all have to like this. That seems to be the rule that's imposed. doesn't matter what it is. You can try your different alcohol, whatever drink it is, but this is what we've got to like. And yeah, I found so much power when I was 28 years old to actually say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be someone that just goes along with what everyone thinks. I actually found it really enjoyable to go against the grain and say, I don't want to do this anymore. And just to use logic, when people say, why? You say, well, I'm happier without it. My life is better. I sleep better. I train better. I eat better. I'm happier, I'm more productive. I can create the life that I actually want to create. And when you say that to someone, it's very difficult for them to challenge that because it's all true and it's all positive. So it's a really interesting social dynamic because for most people, when you say, I don't drink, everyone thinks you must have had a huge problem. Something must be wrong. There must be something wrong with you. And this is where I deflect that. And I say, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with the substance that I was putting in my body. Because without it, I'm living a great life. So there's nothing wrong with me. But there might be something different about how I react to that substance. But that doesn't change the fact that the substance is the issue, not me. And that's kind of the view I have of it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that.
1: I was wondering,
2: one of the the things I wanted to ask you was, uh, do you think that's like a common misconception? I, I mean, I think it is of, like, younger kids, like, between 21 and, like, 16, that that they don't have a choice, that they're just like, well, this is the social norms, and if I don't do this, then I'll, you know, I won't fit in, won't have any friends. Um, Do you think that's, like, is that, like, the same pressure that, is that, like, a pressure that you got, um, that, like, everybody over there gets, or or I'd say here, too, anywhere?
0: There's definitely a a huge pressure on as a teenager drinking in my experience. And I think that's because when you're a teenager, the most important thing in your life is friends, social circles, and and how to navigate through those. At least it was for me. You know, I didn't have to worry about at that point, making money or building a career or anything like that. The only thing I cared about was being liked, being popular. And that was that was kind of, that's how I saw my worth, I guess. And the thing is, looking back on it, we do have a choice. Of course, we have a choice. Everyone has a choice. And this is where it's so important. And I tell a lot of people who I coach out of their situations is the way in which we communicate it. And like you said, there's, there's, there's misconceptions everywhere when it comes to alcohol. And a lot of that is based on the fact that almost 100 years ago, there was two guys in your beautiful country who decided they would set up a program. And they'd set up a program to help anyone who wants to stop drinking. And they called it Alcoholics Anonymous. And the thing is, that came with a lot of labels. It came with a lot of shame. It came with a lot of guilt. It came with a lot of anonymity. If we're proud of our decision, why do we want to be anonymous? Why would we hide it? I'm proud of my friends who run marathons. I'm proud if I've ever worked hard to get another job. I don't keep that to myself. I don't hide it. I'm proud of it. I share it. Stopping drinking is something to be proud of because it is improving your life. That is just the logic and the black and white nature of it. So why do we feel shame around it? Why should we hide it? Because we feel like we've had a problem before. We've done something wrong. I debunk that 100%. And what I say is if you're at a point where you have recognized that something in your life is not right and you're taking action to improve it, share it, tell everyone. Because that is something that will not only show people your worth, but also it's going to inspire others. And I think we're definitely at an age now where people between 16 and 21 are facing dilemmas in it of how to deal with that. But I guarantee very soon it will shift the mentality to the point where people can show how proud they are of doing it and drinkers will look like the ones that are the odd ones out. Drinkers are the ones that should be shameful. The people that are you know, destroying their mental health, destroying their physical health, putting themselves in those states. But again, it takes confidence. And when, when we're teenagers, going through puberty, having those hormones, there is no confidence. And people might show a bit of confidence, but it takes time to build that. It takes giving yourself evidence that this is what I can do. And the more people out there who are vocal about this and being confident about it is gonna inspire others. And it's gonna inspire teenagers to think, do you know what, that's the life I want. When I was a kid, there was no social media. There was no influencers, there was none of that. I didn't know what life was gonna look like when I was older. Now you can open your phone and look at any different life that you want. And when you can see that, you suddenly have a goal and a purpose and something to hold you accountable of what to work for or work towards. And I think having that is going to really help people to go, do you know what? I know that if that's the life I want, I cannot have alcohol because that is going to slow me down. It's going to stop me achieving that goal. And it's just about spreading the message, which is exactly what we're doing here. Do you
1: believe social media has been a tool to to, to I mean obviously you've, you've you've reached a lot of people I know you had just mentioned social media and its power could you speak to that a little bit more about I mean because I, I feel like in my experience like social media was definitely one of the things that helped me actually find a lot of interest in getting going into the gym and actually working out like initially so have you noticed that in the same same way but with not? like like trying to, to quit drinking and, and smoking and all that? Or, you know, what's, what's your experience?
0: I 100% agree that it is an incredibly powerful tool. And like any tool that can be used in a positive or a negative way. I guess the first thing that I'm grateful for is that during my years of drinking, there was no Instagram stories, there was no Snapchat because I would not want any of that to be of captured and shared around. Um, because it's incredibly embarrassing and it's, it felt like it was out of my control. However, when I was drinking every single person I knew on my Instagram. And at that time it was only people I knew I wasn't putting a message out there. All of our stories were the same. It was all about drinking or doing drugs or whatever it was. So you live in that echo chamber. You think that is your entire world. There's no one outside of anywhere that doesn't do this. This is what everyone does. And it was when I stopped. I remember still thinking, I guess I'm going to be the odd one out. There's no one out there who's stopped drinking. And very soon I realized that there's a huge world out there. You know, the majority of the world doesn't drink alcohol. And I, that's a thrown out fact. That's not, don't fact check me on that. But there's a lot of people out there that don't drink alcohol. And the one thing I found was I could then use my Instagram for my personal use. I could change what I'm looking at every day. I could change it and look at people working out. People who are going running, people who are doing ice-cold showers or swimming in lakes, people who are going to bed early and giving advice and giving value. And that is what my Instagram is now. You know, everything I see on there is of value. It serves a purpose. And there's so many people out there who talk about sobriety. They talk about not drinking. And if you change your social media, where we spend the majority of our lives, for most people, we change our entire way of thinking. So if you're constantly watching your friends going out, having fun on your Instagram stories or wherever it is, whatever social media you use, that's gonna keep this narrative in your head that you're the one missing out. You're the odd one out. Whereas if you follow other people that are doing exactly the same as you, it makes you feel like what you're doing is the right thing. Now that is a negative in a sense as well because it becomes an echo chamber. I believe the reason the entire world is so polarized right now is because we feed ourselves the information we want. And we don't like it if we hear something that doesn't align with our values or our beliefs. So it also gets people into the mindset like I'm in now, like almost thinking, does anyone drink anymore? I never see anyone drinking. And that's because my entire social media is about people that have stopped. And on top of that, the fact that the only reason I can do what I do is because of social media is the positive of it. The fact that I can get a message out there and share a message using a platform and using certain techniques and tools to reach more people is fantastic. That's the entire goal. I want to help people. I want to get people free of their drinking of their drug use, whatever it is they want to break free from any destructive habits. And for that reason, I cannot say anything bad about social media because it has helped me get to where I am hundred percent.
1: I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah and i do agree on the polarization thing that after a while that does become a bit of an echo chamber but it's something you just have to be a bit self-aware about and i was talking to a friend and they were like i I keep getting reminded of my past well you spend a lot of time on social media you know and a lot of people you follow and have friends with are people from your past and and so you see them every day you know and if you want to move on right you've got to be able to unfollow unfriend and move past that surround yourself with some other a new group on social media right someone that's going to encourage you and and such so i I am glad to hear you say that um I, i had a question though um do you believe that people can social drink or is that Is that uh, dancing on the line there?
0: So I believe that there are people out there who react differently to alcohol than others. There are people out there who could go out, have a couple of drinks and call it quits and go home and be absolutely fine. But there are some people out there who would have a couple of drinks and think that's it. I'm on the, the train has left the station. It's one way we are doing as much as we can. And, Following, as I'm sure you're aware of his existence, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who did a PhD in alcohol, he came up with the fact that there is 10% of the population who drink react that way. It gives them a positive feedback loop in their brains instead of a negative one, because it is a depressant. It shouldn't stimulate us. It should depress us. But there's a small percentage, 10%, get stimulated by it. And we just want more and more. I am in that 10%. I know I am. However, even still being in that 10%, there are days where you don't go to the extreme. And that's where things like accountability come in. Some people come to me and say, listen, I I lose control with alcohol, but it's not that bad because some days I only have a couple. And I go, okay, so the days where you only have a couple, what is the reason for that? And they say, well, I had to get up early for work. My wife asked me to come home. And I'm like, okay, so accountability can override that sometimes. And we can override it in our minds. The whole reason I'm sat here almost six years into it is because I've overridden it in my mind. It is not a physiological thing. It is a psychological thing. And that's truly what I believe we react because of our physiology, but our psychology is the one that keeps us going back there. And the more that we believe things like we are not in control or that we have to hand this over to a higher power, The more we release that responsibility which in my eyes does not work it does not work for me and it does not work for a lot of people out there i can't remember what the next thing i was going to say was remind me of the question i'm fasting today so my 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 mind is everywhere
1: yeah the question was can you social
0: drink yeah ah yes so i believe that if anyone has ever come to me who has struggled to control their drinking, which is the majority of people who drink. This is a drug that is designed for us to lose control. And trying to control something that is designed for us to lose control doesn't make any sense. So anyone that comes to me and says, look, my drinking is out of control. It's causing a lot of issues in my life. I just want to moderate it. And I say, if you were walking on broken glass, barefoot, and it was cutting your feet up, you'd think, oh, I want to stop doing this. This is not pleasant. This is not something for me. You wouldn't say, oh, I just want to do it once a month. That's all. You'd say, I don't want to do this at all. And that's the, that's the mindset I see so many people in. It's usually fueled by the fear of what life will be like without it.
2: I've asked some other people about this, um, but like the strategies and and the techniques, like a lot of people, I think, set out a lot of times to do it themselves and they end up failing and they end up always having to go to someone or they give up completely. Um, and I've, I've met the people that gave up completely. Like they've tried, they've been to AA meetings, they've been to um, rehabilitation facilities and and they just go through them. I mean, I, I've I met one guy that, that had been to her rehabilitation, I think over a dozen times and he just kept failing. Um, so what are like some strategies that you use and, and maybe some thoughts behind like, why someone goes through rehabilitation and doesn't and then relapses.
0: Very, very good question. And I enjoy this one. So this is something which I realized there's people out there who can go to rehab centers. They can go to AA, they can go to all these things and it's not working, but that program tells people that it is the only way. So you suddenly think I'm failing because of me not because of the program, because of me, there's something wrong with me, I haven't got it yet. If I try anything 12 times, I'm not gonna try it a thirteenth because it's clearly not working. I wouldn't even get to 12, I'd probably get to three, maybe just two, and I think, well, this isn't working, let me try a different strategy. However, if that strategy you're using is telling you there is no other way, and you're in a vulnerable position, you're gonna believe that. 10 times out of 10, you're gonna believe that, because you think, oh, these guys are the experts, these guys know. However, when someone comes along like me, who is stubborn and resilient in what I do, and just wanting to kick out of the system, I said, no, this is not the way I want to do it. I can see it doesn't work for me. I want to find another way. So I found a way that worked for me. And I went into logic because for me, when you get to a point where you think I want to cut alcohol out, it is such a gray area. So much confusion. I don't like being confused. I like things to be very clear cut. I'm very analytical in my thinking. So I think, right, let me put this into, perspective. What is it I'm trying to do? Why can I not do it? How do I get to that outcome that I'm looking for? For instance, the first time I actually went to IA was because one of my best friends took me there. He had stopped a year and a half before me. And I was skeptical at the fact that he had, he had stopped drinking, but he was drinking a crate of non-alcoholic beer a night, a whole crate. He was still smoking. He was taking Valium. He was on antidepressants. And I thought, what's the goal here? Is the goal just to stop drinking? And in his eyes, it was. It was like, yeah, at least I'm not drinking. And I said, but this doesn't look like an enjoyable life. It looks like you're still chasing something. It's still like you're trying to satiate yourself with something. So I thought that's not, that's not the way I want to go. My goal is not to remove alcohol purely. I want to remove it because I want to be happier. So why don't I just cut that and be happier? Let me look at the way that I can create a life that I'm so happy with that I wouldn't need to go back to alcohol. Because if we're using a substance that alters the way we think, by default, we're saying, I'm not happy with how I think right now. I'm not happy with how I feel right now. So if I take a substance, it's because I want to feel different. And nine times out of 10, it's because you want to escape how you feel. You're stressed, you're bored, you're anxious, you're lonely. Maybe it's because you're feeling good and you actually want an extra hit of dopamine. So I found it really interesting to come at this from a different angle. So the angle I came at it from was, I need to understand how my mind is working. What is it that is triggering me and why is it triggering me? Why do I get triggered? And if I get triggered, why do I feel like I have to respond to that? And when I respond to it, what is it I enjoy about this? And in order for me to really process all of these things I'd never even thought about, I had to remove myself out of the situation I was in, out of the environment. I was living in London. I was working in a bar. I decided to fly to India by myself and I spent a year by myself traveling around Southeast Asia. And if you spend a year by yourself, no working, no responsibility, no friends, not that I didn't have friends, I met friends out there. That sounds incredibly lonely. I did meet people, best memories of my life. But I had the opportunity to spend time with my own thoughts. And it's the one thing that most people find most difficult is to sit by themselves without a phone, without a computer, without a person, without looking at something, without reading, just to sit with yourself. It is one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And it's because we're looking for that stimulation all the time. And the more stimulation we get, the more we want, the more uncomfort- uncomfortable we feel in silence. You know, I found that everywhere I went, I had to have music in. I had to have my AirPods in, I had to listen to music. I go to the gym, I have to have music. I've got to listen to a podcast. There's always something. I always had to distract my mind. So the first thing I found was how do I get to a point where I can calm those thoughts down? Be proactive in my approach so that I never get to a point where the pressure is so high, I just want to smash it. I want to get drunk, keep myself at a low level. And I found that by using exercise, by looking at my sleep pattern, by looking at the food I eat, by looking at how I breathe, by using cold water therapy and meditation, that is the self-care, which is one of my pillars. That is the self-care that's going to help me going forward. The goal is not just to stop drinking. The goal is to create a better life. Self-care is a huge pillar of that. The other three pillars, number one is connection. I need to connect with someone who understands what I'm going through, who has gotten out of what I'm going through and who already has the life that I want to live. There's no point saying, right, I'm going to stop doing this without knowing which direction I want to go in. Otherwise I'm moving aimlessly. If I find someone who's gone through what I've been through and has the life that I want, I have a goal. I can visualize where I want to go. And now it's just about putting in the steps to get there. But in order to get there, I need pillar number two, which is accountability. Most of us on our own accord aren't going to wake up 100% motivated every day. I'm going to smash this every day. I'm going to go to the gym every day. So we need something to hold us accountable. It might be a person. It might be a group. It might be a goal, something that's going to give us that I've got to be there. Before I did this, I was a personal trainer and I used to train people at 5 a.m. in London in winter, which is not a pleasant time to wake up or be outside. And the only reason people turned up is because I was there. They didn't care about my knowledge. They didn't care about what I said. It was more just the fact that I was stood there. They didn't want to let me down. Accountability, pillar two, absolutely huge. And the final pillar, remember the first one is self-care, connection, accountability, and insight. In order to break out of it, we have to understand what's actually happening by learning more, by taking that time. Now, most people don't have the luxury that I had to remove myself from their situation for a year, to gain perspective, to gain insights, to think. But that is exactly the value that I bring is because I've taken that time. I've gained those insights and by getting deeper insights, it starts to change the narrative in our mind and it will shift our perspective on what we're doing. Most people believe alcohol to be a reward. It's something you reward yourself with. At the end of a long day, you have a beer. If you get a promotion, you have a bottle of champagne. It is always seen as something that is going to be like, well done. You deserve this. But if we change that narrative and we think actually alcohol only brings negatives to my life, when I do something well, I don't want to, I don't want to bring myself down. I want to keep it going. I want to make myself feel better. So alcohol is a punishment. It is not a reward. So you're punishing yourself for doing something good. Again, illogical. That doesn't make sense. I do something good. I treat myself. I reward myself with a nice meal, with going for a run, with jumping in an ice frozen lake, which sounds like a punishment, but it's such a reward, such a reward. And that is my approach and that is my mentality towards it.
1: I like that. There's there's two sides of the spectrum with the, the dopamine that you're just talking about. Like there's the healthy dopamine and there's the, just the really bad, really bad <laughs> unhealthy dopamine. Um, the people that... For people that don't want to look at the logic of it or find it hard to look at the logic side of things, because there are obviously different types of people that have, they communicate with the world in a different differently, right? And some people don't use as much logic. Do you have any advice for, for people like that?
0: Yeah, well, I would go as far to say that anyone who is struggling does not use the logic. I certainly didn't. When we're in that state, we use emotion. We are very emotionally right. driven. It is very fear driven. And the one thing that I tried to shift is to get people into logical results-based thinking of what the outcome could be. Now, obviously that takes compassion. Most people that reach out to me and speak to me open with the pain that they're going through. They tell me everything that's happened, but they justify it by what's happened to them in their lives. I think all of us can agree here that everyone has hardships. Everyone has to go through something. Everyone has to lose family members. Everyone has to lose a job, lose a partner. Everyone breaks up with them. We all go through things. It's just the action we take and the attitude we have towards those things. And the one thing I've found is we far too often, myself included here, take on a victim mentality. Like the world is against us. I'm in this position because of what's happened to me. But it's also, you see people who are doing incredibly well in life use those things as fuel. The same things has happened. In fact, you can see that some of the most successful people in the world have had the worst things happen to them. So it just shows it's not what's happening. It's how we, it's how we deal with it. It's the attitude we take it on with. And I played the victim for a very, very long time. I was waiting for someone to come and save me because I felt like I deserved it and life was too tough on me. And it was only when I got to the point when I thought, no, do you know what? This is down to me. No one's coming to save me. I can get myself out of this. And the one thing I found is that the victim mentality wants people to suffer with it. If you're in a victim mentality, you share that pain because you want others to feel your pain. And I don't agree with that. So when people reach out to me, they share share with me their problems. And I say, I'm sorry to hear that. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to get you out of this? Let's think about it. And I use that positive mindset and that positive energy to inspire people, to show them there is a way out. Because if I sit there dwelling on it, nothing happens, but instead of them getting better, I get worse. And that's not a solution. And again, we're looking for results-based thinking. That is not a solution. And this is also why I disagree with a lot of the programs out there because that is all they focus on. They focus on the shame, the weight, the heaviness, the fear of what could happen if they go back. Those are not emotions or feelings that are gonna carry you to a happy life. I don't sit here five and a half years years into this, not drinking purely because of the fear of what could happen if I go back. I don't have any fear towards it. I just have clarity and I know what my life can be. And that's what I wanna focus on. Whatever we focus on is what we're gonna manifest. And if I focus on the fear of going back to drinking, most likely I'll go back to it. Yeah,
1: I like that. You, you, if you're focusing, you're choosing not to focus on the bad, right? Because it's like if if you tell someone not to look, they're going to look, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's, it's um, actually and, a, and um, this... a technique, I believe, that is used in pilot training. So when someone is training to be a pilot, they never tell them what they should avoid in the sky. They tell them what they should aim for. Because if you tell someone what they should avoid that's where the focus goes right it's that whole thing where people say don't think of a don't think of an elephant and the first thing you think about is an elephant whereas if i said Mm -hmm. only think of a lion an elephant wouldn't even appear in your mind and that's kind of yeah i guess in a really simple way the whole mindset don't focus on what we want to get rid of focus on what we what we want to gain from it
2: yeah it's kind of like that uh that uh skiing analogy if you're if you're skiing through the forest and you're thinking don't hit the tree don't hit the tree don't hit the tree you're gonna hit the tree but if you're just staying on the trail going then you're you're more likely to not hit a tree um, same analogy but yeah. yeah if you don't know if if you don't know what's there to aim for you know you're never going to be aiming for it so i guess that's kind of another way to look at it
0: yeah and i think that's the whole thing I found is that when I tried going to these 12 step programs and these meetings, there was a lot of attention placed on what was going on, but there was no attention placed on what we're we trying to achieve here. Like what's beyond removing this, you know, where can we get to, what can what can life be? And I guess they were maybe uh, the only kind of questions that I had because I was thinking a lot deeper into what I wanted. And I don't say this to offend anyone who's in those programs, because maybe there's people watching me right now. And if they are, they're probably quite angry listening to me because a lot of people that go into that program are there because they want to make a better life. They don't want to have to believe in a higher power, but they do because they're desperate. And if they've had to do it, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that everyone else does it because that makes us feel better about it. It was very odd when I first tried to tell people I wasn't going to come to any meetings they were almost angry with me, like really angry. And I thought, that's really bizarre. Why are you angry? It's my life, I can do what I want. You can do what you want. And it was because the only way you would be angry is if you've had to do something that you weren't happy about, you don't wanna see someone else able to do that. And some of the, uh, as we all know, the internet is a dark place and some people project a lot on that. And a lot of the projections I get to my pages are usually from people who don't drink. Which is really bizarre. Not people that drink, people that don't drink. They don't like what I'm doing.
1: That's so very, strange. Very
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess. That's very have haters, and you're not doing something. <laughs> not doing something right. Yeah.
2: What do they like? Do they like mention what it is exactly? I mean, i probably not. They're probably just raging over. <laughs> Over text. You know, they, oh. There
0: was a funny, I'll, I'll let you know a funny one that I had the other day. Some guy messaged me and said, if you're not promoting the 12 step program, you're filling people with false hope. Please stop now. So I responded, I probably should have left it, but I responded. <laughs> okay. What do I tell all the people that I've already helped stop? Hmm it was quite an interesting uh, response. He just gave me an emoji that had the eyes rolling up like, and I thought if this isn't working or it's false hope, I've helped thousands of people change their relationship with alcohol. Most of those stopped for good. I think it's, uh, it's the proof is in the pudding. As we say in the UK, the proof is in the pudding.
1: I think some some people
2: just get in their mind like, Oh, this is the art it's been perfected. And you may have you may have successes but uh, but the 12-step program is you know that's top of the line so if they would have maybe in his mind is like maybe if they would have been in our program they would have gotten done quicker and it would be better but they used your program and you don't have as much success you still have success I don't know I I think maybe that's what goes through some people's mind but I mean if that's if that's your I think if that's a lot of people's view like you're You're not thinking outside the box because that's how that's how life gets better as you figure out faster and better ways to do it.
0: If you think about how much the world has advanced in the last 100 years, how different was the world 100 years ago? And this was in your country. 100 years ago, they set up a program that has not changed a word. It has not changed at all. But our relationship with alcohol has changed significantly. The way we interact with each other, and it's a lot, it's it's a very dated system. That's not to say that back when it was created, it was probably absolutely state-of-the-art perfect, but now it's not. And trying to change a system that old is not gonna be easy. Whereas I'm coming at it with a very modern view. Most people who struggle with alcohol, it doesn't look the same as it did in 1934. It looks very different nowadays. And it's because of that, which is why, I have such a high success rate with my clients is because I know how to do it in today's times. And it's going to change again. In a hundred years, my way will look so dated. The way I'm doing things will look so dated. And that's the nature of the world. We have to move forward. We have to keep adapting, keep changing. I've adapted my business already in the past two years because it's not the same as it was two years ago. Things are moving quick. And that's the whole point. But if you think there's a system out there that's a hundred years old, it's questionable, I think, is the first thing to say. It's right to question what you think is right.
1: If, uh, to kind of wrap this episode up,
0: what's the best place for people to reach you at? So I am on a few different social medias, but the majority I use is, uh, t- uh, sorry, Instagram. And my handle is Trainer. And that's because I used to be a personal trainer and I am T-Total, which means I am totally abstinent from anything that will alter my mentality. T-Total trainer. And through there, you can see my content. You can see the link. And I offer discovery calls with people who want to work with me. I have a podcast and I have an online course. And that's me. Awesome.
1: Well, I'll link this up in the show notes for everyone um, to come check them out. Um, I've really enjoyed this episode and, um, honestly, would love to do this again. I, I could sit here and talk for another, talk with you for another hour and a half. So, (laughs) but, um, anyways, um, thank you for listening and, uh, you know, hope to see you next week.